Back in 2003, Harvard freshman Mark Zuckerberg became a campus celebrity by creating something called Face Mash, a website where basically students could vote on which of two randomly selected Harvard women was more attractive. But that quickly got him into trouble with the Harvard administration and with the women's groups on campus, and so they put an end to it. But Face Mash, although it was short-lived, led Zuckerberg to consider the value of creating a campus-wide social network. So the following year, sophomore year, Zuckerberg launched a social media website that he had built called The Facebook in order to connect with Harvard students with one another. By the next day, over 1,200 people had signed up for it, and that was only the beginning. The story of Facebook uh, was told and, and lifted up in the 2010 movie, you might remember, The Social Network. But the exact source of the idea still remains unclear because there were some other people that said it was their idea and Zuckerberg stole it. You remember that? But what's obvious is that Mark Zuckerberg had twin gifts for coding and causing a stir, both of which served him well at Harvard. Now known simply as Facebook, the site has quickly ballooned into one of the most significant social media companies in history. And today, Facebook is one of the most valuable companies in the world with over two billion monthly users, and Zuckerberg himself is a billionaire. We now live in a culture that is obsessed with social media. Consider these statistics that the Pew Research Center put out. 69% of adults and 81% of teenagers in the U.S. use social media. Approximately 86% of 18 to 29-year-olds use some type of social media platform. 80% of people aged 30 to 49 and 64% of people aged 50 to 64 are on social media. 33% of adults that are older than 65 use social media. 97% of teenagers ages 13 to 17 have at least one social media account. Almost 25% of teens, maybe more, view social media as having a negative effect on their health. The National Institute of Mental Health says that in a lifetime, uh, adolescents will have some type of mental health illness. It's 49.5%. But 22% of adolescents will suffer from a severe mental impairment over their lifetime. More than six out of 10 men and five out of 10 women have a social media addiction. The three most popular social media platforms among teenagers, YouTube, Instagram, and Snapchat. People ages 16 to 24 spend an average of over three hours a day on social media. Young adults aged 18 to 25 have the highest prevalence of mental illness of any age group at 26%. And researchers have found a significant leak in the presence of Facebook and, and that, that Facebook, the presence of Facebook, increases depression and anxiety among college students. Why am I sharing all this today? It's because social media has led us into a new era. Our young people are exposed to things that many of us were never exposed to at their age. When they are excluded from a party, they know it. 
When all their friends gather somewhere and they're not there, they know it. We just didn't know, right? Ignorance was bliss back in the day. Even when they get together to have a meal at a restaurant, you can look around the table and they're all sitting there on their phones, not even talking to each other. Psychologists have clearly linked social media to rapidly rising rates of depression, anxiety, and suicide. But here's the big thing. Social media is highly addictive and many people, including adults, not just kids, cannot break away from it. Social media drives social comparison unlike ever before. And remember, the primary thief of joy in our culture is social comparison. We're always comparing ourselves to what others are putting out there and on social media, everybody puts their best life out there. Today, we're concluding this Philippian series where we've been in for the past four or five weeks. And so let me lift up some of the things that we've talked about so far. Humility. Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Being a shining light. Paul says, shine like stars, which means that we can't be cynical, we can't be negative, we can't be toxic. Breaking from the past. Paul talks about pressing on and not being stuck in the past. Live in the present, embrace the future, change the things you wanna change, forgive and let things go. Paul talks about not worrying about anything, remember? But we all find ourselves worrying about many things, our health, our money, our marriage, our kids, our job. Prayer can help with that if we use it. Focus on the right things. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence and if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So we have to look for what is good and right in the world and not just for what is wrong and the problems in the world. And we choose our attitude every day. And then in chapter four, Justin read today, Paul talks about contentment. Not that I'm referring to being in need, For I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty, and of being in need. I can do all things through Christ, who strengthens me. In Luke's gospel, Jesus tells us the story about a, a rich man whose crops produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, well, what should I do for, for I have no place to store my crops. And so he decides to go and build larger ones. And he says to himself, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. The problem was the man suddenly died. He didn't get to use all the stuff he had stored. And God said to him, all the things you've prepared, whose, whose will they be? And the story finishes by saying, so it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. What does authentic gratitude and contentment look like in a culture that always tells us that we need more, that we need bigger, that we need newer? What does it look like to be at peace in your life and then not be so concerned about what everybody else is doing and what everybody else is up to. That's what I wanna focus on as we get ready for Thanksgiving today. Years ago, a friend of mine in Kansas City named Adam Hamilton, he's a Methodist pastor, he wrote a great book titled Enough. 
And, and in the book, he says, here are four keys to cultivating contentment in your life. First, he says, remember, it could be worse. There's always a silver lining in any situation because life could always be worse. No matter what we're facing, there are always going to be people who are better off and people who are worse off. And so it begs the question, why do we always compare ourselves with people who are better off? Why do we always compare ourselves with the people who have more? Secondly, he says that to cultivate contentment, we need to ask ourselves, how long will this make me happy? We're all guilty of, of buying things that we think will make us happy, but it never seems to last. Have you noticed that? The Wall Street Journal once ran a piece and they said, here are the top 10 things that Americans waste money on. And they started with number 10. Apparel products and services, dry cleaning, storage units, clothing, shoes, jewelry. Number nine was tobacco products. Number eight was entertainment equipment like bicycles, campers, trailers, hunting and fishing gear, sports equipment, golf clubs, boats. Number seven was alcohol. And if you think about the bill at the restaurant, it's a lot higher if you have a few drinks, right? Number six was fees and admission. That includes sporting tickets, concert tickets, movies, club memberships, and so on. Number five was lodging, vacation homes, and hotels. Number four was pets, toys, hobbies, playground equipment. Number three was televisions, radios, satellites, sound equipment. Number two was gifts for other people that are excessive and over the top. And number one was eating out, food away from home. And I share this list with you because all of us would acknowledge that we overspend in lots of these areas, but what's a luxury for one person is an absolute necessity for another person. But all this points to the fact that we do live in a materialistic society where we spend lots of money on things that only give us temporary satisfaction, but not the deep spiritual contentment that we're looking for. And we have to pay attention to that. The third thing Hamilton says is that to cultivate contentment in life, we need to develop a grateful heart. What does a grateful heart look like? A grateful heart recognizing that all of life is a gift. Contentment comes when we spend more time giving thanks for what we have than thinking about what we don't have. In any situation, we can either complain or we can be grateful. We can focus on the things that we don't like or we can begin to search for the things that we, that we do like. We can focus on our disappointments or we can give thanks for our blessings because they're always there. Paul reminds us that the choice is always ours to make. We've talked about that the last few weeks and we have to remember that. And the last thing that he said about contentment, he, he says one of the best ways to cultivate contentment in life is to ask a basic question. Where does my soul find true satisfaction? And that gives us an idea to say, what is it that really feeds my soul and gives me real meaning and not just temporary things that money can buy? So things like family and friends and church and God. Contrary to what the world would have us believe, the longing of our souls cannot be ordered on Amazon, cannot be satisfied at the mall. It might give us a temporary satisfaction, new shoes, new dress, new suit, new jewelry, new furniture, but it doesn't last. It's the deeper things 
the deeper things that matter. It's our faith, it's our families, it's our friends, it's our community. In Ecclesiastes, King Solomon said, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. And then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had spent in doing it. And again, all was vanity and chasing after the wind. So sometimes we keep going and chasing the same stuff, but it leaves us with what I've called restless heart syndrome. It leaves us wanting more. But have we considered the fact that we should be enjoying our lives right now? This stage, today, this week. Because if we're not grateful for what we have right now, then chances are we're not gonna be grateful for whatever it is we're working towards and whatever it is that might come our way. I'll close with a story. Some of you've heard it, some of you may not have. I tell it about once a year, but this is the story about an American businessman who would go to Mexico on vacation to get away. And, um, and so one day he was standing on the pier and he always took about two weeks when he went. He noticed a small fishing boat that was coming in early into the dock. And he thought it was a little bit strange for this boat to be coming in because all the other boats were still out. And so, so he kind of was really curious and he walked down there and he saw this local fisherman who had just caught several large yellowfin tuna. And he said, how long did it take you to catch those fish? Not very long, the fisherman replied with a smile. Well, is there something wrong with your boat? Is it not working? Oh, no, 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 nothing's wrong with my boat. Um, well, the guy was confused. He said, well, why don't you stay out there longer? Catch more fish. The fisherman smiled and said, you know, I got plenty of fish for my family's needs. But it's not even lunch yet, the American said. Why, why do you, what do you do with the rest of your day? Well, he said, in the morning, I, I, I like to sleep late. Um, when I wake up, I fish a little, mostly for the pleasure of fishing. In the afternoon, I, I play with my children and, and I take a siesta with my wife. In the evening, I have dinner with my family and then I stroll into the village and I, I play the guitar and drink wine with my amigos. And the American just kind of laughed at this guy and said, man, you've just, you're missing out. He says, but you're in luck. <clears throat> I'm in town. I'm a Harvard MBA. I'm kind of bored on this trip. I'm going to help you out. And, and he said, here's what you should do. Fish late into the day, you can catch more fish, buy a bigger boat. And with a bigger boat, you can catch even more fish, make some more money, then you can buy a second boat, get somebody to come work for you. Then what, fisherman said? Well, the, we're just getting started here. With two boats, you can catch even more fish, buy even more boats, and you'll have a whole fleet of boats working for your fishing company. Well, well then what? Well, before long, you build your own crannery, before you know it, you'll take your company from this small village up to Mexico City, and it'll continue to grow. What then? Well, then you could move to Los Angeles, open a distribution plant on the West Coast, and you could fish out in the big waters. And you could travel to different continents and manage your growing fishing empire. Well, how long will this take, the guy said. Maybe 20, 25, 30 years. Well, what would I do after that? That's the best part. When the time is right, you go to Wall Street, New York, where I live, and you can list your fishing company as an IPO and you can make millions and millions of dollars. Millions, oh yeah. More money than you could ever spend. What would I do then? American didn't really know what to say at that point. He thought he had laid out a pretty good plan and so he, he looked at the fisherman and he said, well, then you can move to a small coastal village and you can sleep late, fish in the morning just for the pleasure of fishing, 
Afternoons, you could play with your children, you could take a siesta with your wife, in the evenings you could have dinner with your family, then you could stroll into town and play guitar with your amigos. You see, that story kind of flies in the face of everything we're told in American culture. But sometimes, finding contentment in life is not about bigger, better, and more. It's about making a decision to look around and be thankful for what we have. It's not about always wanting more, but it's about being generous and putting our time and money into the things that satisfy our souls. And so it's just simply a choice that we all must make. But it's hard to be grateful and thankful if you can never turn off your drive. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. Amen.